Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of graphic torture that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. She's one of the most prolific and brutal serial killers ever. A woman so thirsty for blood, she gave inspiration to the character of Dracula. Depending on what you read, Elizabeth Bathory, or the Blood Countess, was anything from a real-life vampire, an expert sadist, or simply a woman with a murderous temper. But getting to the truth of this woman's life isn't easy, because she lived over 400 years ago. The myths about her have become larger than life, as have the tales about her crimes. But here's what we do know. At one point, she stood accused of murdering 650 young women. If the legends are true, then no other killer in history, male or female, holds a candle to her. So get ready to go on a little trip with me back to 16th century Hungary and a time when one woman reinvented the term bloodbath. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll try to piece together the early life of young Elizabeth Bathory to learn why and how she later turned into one of the most notorious killers in history. Next week, we'll dive into the Countess's crimes and their aftermath as witnesses testify against Elizabeth in the murder of hundreds of girls. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. (laughs) 
Much of what historians know today about Elizabeth Bathory is speculative at best. Her letters and the account of her trial are the truest sources we have for what really happened in her life. But these weren't translated from Hungarian for hundreds of years. So in the meantime, rumors about her grew and grew until her biography became a mixture of fact, hearsay, and preposterous legend. Parsing fact from fiction won't be easy, but we do know that Elizabeth Bathory was born into a very specific world. She began her life on August 7, 1560, at her family's estate in Etched, Hungary. Elizabeth's parents, Anna and Georg, both came from different branches of the Bathory clan. Their marriage solidified the Bathory's standing as one of the wealthiest and most influential families in Central Europe. Elizabeth's childhood home was a castle that looked straight out of a fairy tale. On the surface, Elizabeth had everything a young girl of the nobility could ask for. She was beautiful, with dark brown hair and fair skin, and highly intelligent. She liked to fence, which was unusual for girls, and she could read and write in a time when most girls could not. Yet even with all the privileges she received as a girl of noble birth, she wasn't completely protected from the outside world. 16th century Hungary was a harsh place. Extreme violence colored everyday life, and young Elizabeth likely observed several public executions. Legend has it, she even laughed at some. One story claims that she watched a peasant man be sewn alive into the belly of a horse as punishment for kidnapping a child. In addition to this early exposure to violence, we know that young Elizabeth suffered migraines, seizures, and fits of rage. Some historians chalk these episodes up to stress, and the social pressures of conforming to a particular feminine role. But some believe she had an underlying ailment that may have been epilepsy. And this may have been a result of her family's inbreeding. Before we continue with Elizabeth's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. As members of the same clan, Elizabeth's parents were cousins, being the child of two people so closely related may have caused her to inherit a genetic disorder like epilepsy or another psychological condition. In 2004, a genetic study conducted on an inbred family in Turkey suggested that epileptic traits are likely to be passed down from parents who are closely related to each other. While we can't be absolutely sure if Elizabeth had epilepsy, the fits, headaches, and mood changes that were documented in her youth are consistent with that diagnosis. And she wasn't the only Bathory potentially affected. Some historians believe the Bathory clan to have been highly affected by mental health disorders and are quick to point out inbreeding as a potential cause. There are reports of Elizabeth having an Uncle Gabor who wore armor in the house and hallucinated invisible enemies that he would fight off with a sword. Of course, historians have since noted that there's no proof Elizabeth actually had an uncle by the name of Gabor, though she did have a cousin by the name who went on to rule Transylvania. And then there was Elizabeth's brother, Ishtvan, an alleged sexual predator who some claim ran around the surrounding villages 
in the nude. Her parents, Anna and Georg, were also considered eccentric. There are stories that her father had a favorite chair he refused to leave, not even to eat, sleep, or wash himself. But when she was only 10 years old, Elizabeth's parents died only months apart from each other. Suddenly, she was on her own. She certainly wasn't destitute. Her parents left her several enormous castles and parcels of land. But she didn't have a lot of emotional support, especially since the rest of her relatives had their own problems. She did have one family member she was close to, her Aunt Clara. But Clara may not have been the best influence. Popular legend has it that she taught Elizabeth witchcraft and methods of torture. But as with other elements of Elizabeth's story, it's hard to know the truth. In some accounts, Clara is described as a witch and a sadist. She's accused of murdering her husbands for their wealth, but she may have simply outlived her spouses and practiced herbal medicine. Still, Elizabeth did develop an interest in the occult and torture later in life, which may have been due to the influence of her favorite aunt. And then there are stories that Clara and Elizabeth had a sexual relationship. It's hard to verify this. Clara would have been about 50 years old when Elizabeth was only 10. So even though it was a different time, it does make a sexual relationship seem unlikely. Whatever their relationship was, it took a back seat when 11-year-old Elizabeth became engaged. Her fiancé was 16-year-old Count Ferenc Nadozhdi, an only child from a family nearly as prominent as Elizabeth's. The following year, in 1572, 12-year-old Elizabeth moved to Ferenc's estate, Castle Chashtitsa. It wasn't an easy transition. At her childhood home, Elizabeth had been free to do as she pleased, whether that meant fencing or throwing tantrums. But at Ferenc's castle, it was different. Elizabeth was being groomed to be the perfect noble wife. People at court told her how to speak and dress, when to eat, and how to celebrate. And because she wasn't marrying for love, she was lonely. Which may have been why she started an affair with another man when she was 13. Ladislav Bende was either a young nobleman or, more likely, a servant. It's possible the relationship wasn't consensual, but soon Elizabeth discovered she was pregnant. This, of course, was a problem, and the Bathory family did everything they could to cover it up. Still, Ferenc found out about the pregnancy. He had a temper to begin with, but this enraged him. Legend has it he had Ladislav castrated and then fed his genitals to the dogs. Elizabeth gave birth to a girl, but gave her away in secret and never saw her again. Not long after that, in 1575, she was married to Ferenc. She was 14 years old. Over 4,000 guests came to the wedding. Kings, queens, and other nobility across Europe attended. The drinking and merriment lasted for days. And at the center of it all was the young couple. They were never alone, not even on their wedding night. After feasting and dancing, 
Elizabeth and Ferenc retired to the bedchamber and were followed by the entire wedding party, including the clergy, who listened in on everything. As shocking as it sounds, at the time it was customary to make sure that a new union was consummated. As a wedding gift, Ferenc gave Elizabeth a castle with 17 surrounding small towns. It was called Castle Chastitsa, and it became Elizabeth's favorite property. And between the two of them, they had 20 estates across the country, which made them wealthier than the King of Hungary. In fact, the King owed them money, a rather large amount in fact, which made the newlyweds virtually untouchable. They were the power couple of the age. The only fault anyone could find in them was that they took their time having children. 10 whole years, in fact. Why this was, nobody's exactly sure. One theory was that Elizabeth was a lesbian. Another was that Ferenc was simply at war so much that it was physically impossible for them to conceive. It's also possible that inbreeding may have caused the Countess to have fertility problems. But 10 years into the marriage, at the age of 24, Elizabeth is said to have finally taken matters into her own hands. She went to see a forest witch who prescribed something to help. Folk fertility treatments at the time included things like magical talismans or even, according to some sources, licking oneself like a cat. But whatever it was, it worked and Elizabeth and Ferenc welcomed their first daughter, Anna, into the world in 1585. Anna was followed by two other daughters, Katalin and Orshulya, and two sons, Andrash and Pal. To help raise her five children, Elizabeth hired a wet nurse, or Dika, named Ilona Yo. Ilona breastfed the babies and would become one of Elizabeth's closest confidants. By most accounts, Elizabeth was kind and loving to her children. But by the time they were born, she was starting to take her anger out on other people in the household, her servants. And she wasn't the only one. Ferenc had developed quite a reputation for violence himself, both on and off the battlefield. He'd bring home certain methods of torture he'd acquired and found Elizabeth was only too happy to learn more about his new hobby. Torturing servants proved an intimate pastime for the pair. It was a way for the couple to bond, maybe a little too well. Up next, Elizabeth and Ferenc turn physical abuse into their favorite domestic activity. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th President of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite ParCast hosts, including me, covering every angle of the Kennedys from shows like Conspiracy Theories, Unsolved Murders, Crime Countdown, and others. 
assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones too. Examine all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow the Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now back to the story. Adolescence can be cruel to many people, and Elizabeth Bathory had it especially rough. Between the ages of 10 and 14, she lost both of her parents, moved to an unfamiliar palace, and married off to a rather violent husband. But his violence took a while to rub off on her, there's no record of Elizabeth attempting to hurt anyone before her marriage, or even in its early years. In fact, it seems she took an interest in the welfare of her servants and the peasants who lived on her land. She even arranged a healthcare system for them. But she was married to a man with a documented mean streak. And as he rose up the ranks in the military, his violent tendencies only got worse. By 1578, about three years into their marriage, Ferenc was a captain in the Hungarian army. He and his men would spend months at a time waging war against the Ottoman Empire, which had conquered Hungary earlier in the 16th century. And over that time, he developed some truly barbaric methods of torture. For example, he didn't just avenge the death of a comrade by demanding the killers be hanged, he wanted them hanged with inhuman cruelty. He also became a master at the art of impalement, which involved driving stakes through living prisoners and subjecting them to a long, painful death. Some sources say he even occasionally played kickball with the heads of his dead opponents. In any event, it seems that his taste for torture followed him home. One time, he allegedly made a servant girl strip naked in front of him before another servant slathered her with honey. Ferenc then ordered the girl to stand in the sweltering heat where she was bitten and stung by insects. She eventually fainted, but Ferenc wasn't finished. He rolled up pieces of paper, dipped them in oil, and put them between the servant's toes. He asked Elizabeth to bring a candle. Then, one by one, he set the pieces of paper on fire. The servant girl woke up to find her toes burning and her employers laughing. But as much as he liked to burn, whip, and beat his servants, Ferenc had a strict rule. You could never kill one of them. That was taking things too far. Even his own wife wasn't permitted to do that as far as he was concerned. Interestingly, Ferenc wasn't breaking the law by abusing his servants. Those who served royalty and the nobility had very little protections in general. 
16th century Hungary was governed by a legal text called the Tripartitum, which held that servants owed their lives to the lords of the land on which they lived. Because of this, they were essentially considered the property of their employers and therefore had no legal rights. Not only that, Ferenc and Elizabeth were so rich, they were essentially above the law, which meant their servants truly had no recourse at all. While Ferenc certainly enjoyed torturing servants, Elizabeth's own behavior may have had less frivolous origins. It may have had less to do with amusing herself and more to do with stress. When Ferenc became captain of the Hungarian army, he began to bring his troops back to Chastitza to celebrate their brutal victories. But the homecoming parties were often logistical nightmares, requiring Elizabeth to feed and house hundreds of soldiers. The parties put immense pressure on her and her staff. In her defense, she would go for months at a time being alone, and then overnight be expected to entertain hundreds of people. This was bound to be stressful for anyone. Some scholars mentioned that every time she threw a big party, Elizabeth would fly into a fit of rage. But these episodes were setting the stage for something bigger. Elizabeth often got irritated with her servants when things weren't done to her liking. In secret, she reportedly was becoming so irritated that she'd punish her servants even more viciously and compulsively than Ferenc ever did. It started with poking and prodding, behavior you'd expect from a small child. She'd pinch, kick, and even nip her servants with her teeth when she needed to let off steam. But starting around 1585, when she was 25, is when her behavior is thought to have become more violent and creative. One story goes that when a seamstress did a bad sewing job on her favorite dress, she took a needle and pricked the woman's finger, causing it to bleed. But that wasn't enough. Elizabeth held the woman's hand down and pressed a pin underneath each of her fingernails while she cried in agony. The crying annoyed Elizabeth, so she stuck the pin in the woman's lips. When the woman tried to pull the pin out, Elizabeth reportedly beat her and cut her fingers off. After this violent incident, Elizabeth may have discovered that she liked using tools to harm those around her. Soon, she was cutting her servants with knives or burning them with hot metal or candles when they were disobedient. Her punishments also had a tendency to relate to the crime committed, like the needle in the seamstress's fingers for her unsatisfactory hemming. When one girl stole a gold coin from her mistress, Elizabeth heated up a coin in a fire until it was red hot. She forced the girl to hold the coin until it burned a hole in her hand. In another example of creative cruelty, Elizabeth insisted that an older matronly servant play the role of a virgin girl at one of the countess's social gatherings. Why? Who knows? But the woman didn't want to do it. She had a baby she was nursing at home, so she politely suggested that she no longer play the role of a child anymore. Elizabeth ran outside and came back wielding a log. She shoved the log up to the woman's breast and said, "'Suckle your child, you whore. Don't let it cry.' 
she then suggested the woman make the log wear a diaper. In episodes like this one, Elizabeth was showing signs of being a sadist. This meant she enjoyed inflicting pain and humiliating people. But this wasn't all. By the time she reached her mid-twenties, she began showing psychopathic traits. Some of these traits include being charming and glib, easily bored, having a grandiose self-image, showing a lack of remorse, and poor behavioral controls. These are laid out in something called the Hair Psychopathy Checklist. It's quite long, and it's impossible to know how Elizabeth would score if she were evaluated by it today. But much of her behavior checks out. To the public, she was witty and charismatic. When she was confronted, she would lie and deny doing anything wrong. She wouldn't show remorse or would insist the person being punished deserved it. And there was nothing Elizabeth's servants could do about the abuse other than try to avoid her. Legally, they weren't protected, so Elizabeth only became bolder in her punishments. Servants later testified that she began beating girls, and so severely that she'd emerge from her chambers with her dress soaked in blood. Soon, she even took that to an extreme, beating girls until they went unconscious. Until finally, one of the girls hit the floor mid-beating and never got up. Elizabeth realized she had killed her. She'd broken Ferenc's rule, but instead of being horrified, she wanted to do it again. Soon, Elizabeth was killing her servant girls on a regular basis. This went on for years, until someone outside the castle walls finally noticed. One night in 1602, a pastor named Magyari was called to Castle Chastitsa. He'd been told that a young servant girl belonging to Countess Bathory had died suddenly. When he arrived, he found the maids whispering amongst themselves. When the countess passed them to say hello to the clergyman, he noticed they fell silent. Magyari asked to see the body, but the countess told him that it had already been laid to rest in a sealed coffin. She explained that the girl had cholera, which was highly contagious, and that she didn't want to spread the deadly disease or alarm anyone. This made sense. Cholera would be cause for hasty burial. Not only that, the occasional death of a servant wasn't considered unusual. Without modern medicine, people died young. But the warden of Castle Chashditsa, Benedict Bichurd knew cholera wasn't to blame. He'd been there the previous night when servant girls had gone into an inner chamber within the castle. Countess Bathory had then asked him to post a guard in front of the door. No one was allowed to enter without her permission. The girls never came out of the room. And when the warden walked Chashditsa's hallways, he could hear the sounds of lashing. The warden never saw anything himself, except for a blood stain on the wall of the room when he was finally allowed to enter. But some servants said that Elizabeth was holding torture sessions that lasted up to six hours. And many of these sessions had ended in death. We don't know how many girls actually disappeared that night or in the nights previous to this, but one witness said that the bodies of girls were being taken out of the castle by the cartful. 
A few days after the pastor's first visit, he heard there was another casket to bury. He sent his assistant pastor, Mihail Zvonaritz, to handle it. But when Zvonaritz arrived, he learned there were three bodies nailed inside the coffin. He asked Countess Bathory why. She told him at first there had been only two, but then a third girl had begun dying nearby. So she simply waited for her to perish so they could all go in the same coffin. She said she thought this would stop gossip from spreading. She knew that there were some ridiculous rumors going around about her, but still she didn't volunteer the cause of death. Zvonaritz was unsettled. His first thought was to report the suspicious deaths, but he was told by the servants that it would only do them harm. If the Countess thought she was being accused by her own servants, they would be punished, or worse. Zvonaritz could see that the people working for Countess Bathory seemed afraid for their lives. Something was very wrong here. Up next, the church tries to stop Elizabeth's murder sprees. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. With her husband, Ferenc Nadozhdi, off plotting against the Ottoman Empire, Elizabeth Bathory was left alone quite often at Castle Chashtitsa. Left to her own devices, she began to harm her maids and seamstresses. At first, the abuse was just biting and scratching, but then it escalated to full-scale torture. Eventually, some of her victims started to die from the beatings. This went on for years. Until finally, the local clergy began to notice girls were dying at a suspicious clip. One member of the clergy, Pastor Magyari, was told the cause of death was cholera, but there were no signs of cholera in the community. The townspeople had also started to talk. According to them, burials seemed to happen almost every day. Some noticed dead girls being wheeled out of the castles in carts to the burial sites. The sheer number of dead bodies suggested the unspeakable, that the girls were being slaughtered by the Countess herself. As a man of God, Pastor Magyari was obligated to intervene. But he didn't, at least not right away. The slaughter went on for months, even years, as those in the know looked the other way. The warden at Castle Chashtitsa estimated that 175 girls died during that time, 
while others said the number was closer to 300. Finally, one cold winter morning at a funeral for a servant girl, something changed. Elizabeth sat in a pew by herself. She could see the townspeople watching her out of the corner of their eyes. She knew what people were saying about her. She wanted to leave, but she had to make an appearance so that people wouldn't talk. After burying the girl, Pastor Magyari stepped up to the pulpit and scanned his congregation, searching for his target. His eyes locked with Countess Bathory. He took a deep breath. He announced that what the lady did, if the rumors were true, was an abomination. He demanded that they exhume the body from the ground to determine the girl's cause of death. Elizabeth stood up, furious. Here was a man of God accusing the lady of cold-blooded murder. She insisted she had done nothing of the sort. Magyari fired back that if she were telling the truth, then they should dig up the body to prove it. Several gasps rose up from the audience. She said he would be punished for smearing her name. She stormed back to her castle and penned a letter to her husband in Vienna, demanding justice for herself. It worked. As far as we know, the girl's body was never exhumed. But Pastor Magyari wasn't ready to give up. Knowing Countess Bathory was a very powerful woman, Pastor Magyari reported the allegations of torture to a higher authority, the church. The church agreed that the couple had to be made aware of the peril their souls were in and should be stopped immediately. They were even at risk of being denied communion or worse, excommunication. But that never happened because the clergy determined that she didn't act alone. She had help in her inhuman atrocities from other servants. One of them was a woman named Anna Darvulia. Anna Darvulia was Elizabeth's personal advisor and her accomplice. She was a Croatian who had already worked for the Bathories for several years when Pastor Magyari made his accusations. In addition to Ferenc, Anna was one of the people who believed to have taught Elizabeth Bathory elaborate forms of torture, and perhaps the first to teach her how to kill. It was said that Anna ran a human butcher shop in the palace where she beat girls to death. Anna was reportedly the one to influence Elizabeth's taste for young virgin servant girls. And the fact that they were virgins seemed to be important. Anna reportedly advised her employer to look for girls who had not yet tasted the pleasures of love. But the reasons for this are not totally agreed upon today. Many scholars speculate that Elizabeth was a sexual sadist. In at least one case, she was accused of shoving a hot iron in a girl's vagina. According to a study by McCulloch, Snowden, Woods, and Mills in 1983, sexual sadists are acting out a violent fantasy that brings them pleasure and arousal. Inflicting pain on their victims gives them a feeling of control. But there's another reason that Elizabeth liked her victims unspoiled. Apparently, Elizabeth believed that the blood of virgins could restore her youth. So she had hundreds of virgin girls killed so that she could bathe in their blood in a bizarre and horrific anti-aging ritual. 
We can't verify this is true, but it's so insane that it just might be. This would also explain the connection between Elizabeth Bathory and Dracula, because it's not such a big leap from bathing in the blood of young girls to sucking the blood of young female victims. In addition, Dracula is supposed to have eternal life unable to age. But Elizabeth could have chosen young girls for yet another reason. They were simply easy to come by. Several wars had depleted the young male population and left Hungary with a surplus of girls. Their age, social standing, and their sex made them less important in the eyes of Hungarian society, and therefore especially vulnerable and disposable. No one would miss them. At Chastitsa, the rumors about Elizabeth torturing servants continued, despite the fact that no one had actually seen any torture or killing taking place, just the bodies leaving the castle in carts. When Ferenc heard about the clergy's accusations against his wife, he rushed home and started harassing the pastors. Finally, they dropped their accusations. This may have been helped by the fact that he donated a generous sum of money to the church. For a short time, the funerals and public accusations of murder subsided. Elizabeth continued to go to church, much to the chagrin of other suspicious churchgoers. Slowly, the hysteria began to die down. But the deaths of hundreds of servant girls were difficult to explain. It begged for some kind of justice. For Elizabeth's part, she seemed to curtail her sadistic urges for a while. Some people believe Ferenc's presence calmed her, or she was simply getting better at covering her tracks. With Ferenc at her side, she was also relatively safe from political usurpers or legal ramifications. He was Elizabeth's protector from outside attacks and her basest impulses. But by 1603, Ferenc Nadozhdi was gravely ill. Today, no one is exactly sure what he struggled with, but it's said that the illness stemmed from an infected wound. Ferenc didn't seem to think he would recover, so he made some preparations. Knowing that when he died, his wife would be vulnerable to attempted political and physical attacks, he wrote a letter to an old war buddy, Georg Turzo. He asked Turzo to be his wife's protector upon his death. When Ferenc died in 1604, people expected Elizabeth to mourn for him. Instead, she went on a shopping spree fit for a queen, and the rumors about her bloody ways started right back up again. Now Elizabeth had no one to hold her back. And like clockwork, girls started disappearing once again. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two, where we'll track Elizabeth Bathory's descent into madness and the criminal trial that finally brought her reign of terror to an end. For more information on the blood countess Elizabeth Bathory, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book Infamous Lady, the true story of Countess Erzabeth Bathory by Kimberly Kraft, extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Motion. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Katie Waldron, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Fact. Fiction. Fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from ParCast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.